Welcome. This is my truth as a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hi everyone, welcome back to This Is My Truth. I am your host, Jesse Turlep, and you are about to hear a conversation with Terry Tucker. And honestly, you guys, this was such an eye-opening conversation for so many reasons. One, Terry is just like really fun to talk to. Um, and had all of these great stories and analogies and it just I really resonated with what he was saying. But his story is so is one that like when I read it the first time, I was just like, how how is this person taking everything that he's been dealt with and reframing it in a way that is so focused and uh, with the ability to sort of put peace and love and joy back into the world. And one of the things that we talked a lot about is purpose. What is your purpose? How do you find your purpose? Why do people avoid their purpose? And it was just such a eye-opening conversation because I think so many of us, myself included, can resonate with this idea of we know we're not necessarily doing what we're quote unquote, like put on this earth to be doing, but we're so set in our ways, whether that's comfort, whether that's the status quo, whether that's, um, you know, for me for a long time, it was like the golden handcuffs of, of working at a job where um, I've done well and done and have made a lot of money um, you know, in a relative sense. And I think that there is just for all of us, right? There there is resistance to the unknown, resistance to the what if, resistance to frankly the the fear that is preventing us from from going to that next level for being that best version of ourselves. And Terry just tells his story with a smile on his face. And frankly, even re-listening to the conversation, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I could do that in his shoes. And it was just such a eye-opening conversation. One that I think will make you think um, while you're listening, but also for, for quite some time afterwards. So please um, enjoy my conversation with Terry. If this conversation resonates with you or you think it would resonate with a friend, maybe someone who's also sort of stuck, please pass it forward, pay it forward, share the episode, tag me on social media. I would love to reshare um, what you've tagged. 
And most importantly, well, I don't know if it's most importantly or not, but I would appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review um, and let me know what you think of this episode. So please enjoy my conversation with Terry. Hi, Terry. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Jesse. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, I'd like to start with this convert that, oh my gosh, I'd like to start with the conversation with a simple question of what is the truth that you would like to share today? I probably have three truths that I've, I've really kind of developed over my, most of my life, but mostly through the last probably eight and a half years that I've been battling cancer. Number one, you need to control your mind or it will control you. Number two, you need to embrace the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing in your life and use that to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And number three, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Those are my truths. Those are the things I live by. I have those literally on a post-it note in my office that I look at every day, all day as I'm sitting here. Oh my gosh, I love that. And there's so much to sort of unpack in all three of those. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your journey, your experience. Like, why are those your truths? So by far the greatest challenge of my life began in early 2012 when I was diagnosed with this rare form of melanoma that presented on the bottom of my left foot. And by the time the cancer was detected, it had metastasized to a lymph node in my groin. And because my cancer is so rare, there's only about 6,500 people in the U.S. that are diagnosed with this form of melanoma every year, it was recommended that I be treated at the world-renowned MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. I, I want your audience to understand that what I'm going to describe is what I experienced during my cancer journey. I realize there are thousands and thousands of people out there who are suffering terribly from their diseases, whether those diseases be mental or physical. So... I don't make any claims that I have the market cornered on suffering because I don't. But one thing that I've learned is that suffering is one of life's greatest teachers. So at MD Anderson, I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and all the lymph nodes in my left groin. And I had a skin graft to close the wound where the cancer had been removed. After I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of the drug interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. Now interferon for me, it was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. And I took those weekly injections for four years and seven months before the medication became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. And that's usually not compatible with being alive. As a matter of fact, when I was in the ER, I remember the nurse pulled my wife out and said, I've only seen one person with a fever this high, and he didn't make it. So I thought it was kind of insensitive, probably shouldn't have said that to the wife <laughs> or the patient, but nonetheless, it was said. But while I was in that four years and seven months while I was on the interferon, it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. As a matter of fact, I, there was one point where I was pretty sure I was so skinny that I could go hang gliding on a Dorito. You know, it was just really bad. Yeah. I was just constantly nauseous. I was fatigued. I was chilled. My ability to taste food diminished and my body continually ate. And this misery went on for over 1,660 days. Not that you were counting. Not that I was counting. <laughs> no, believe me. But the one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering is that you have two choices. 
you can either succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. And, and I just chose the latter. And, and please understand that there were days that I felt so poorly, felt so lousy and was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I, I just wanted out of this life. Each day was a struggle to use my mind to override the apathy and the distress that my body was feeling. I, I realized that pain and discomfort can beat people to their knees and keep them there if they let it. But I also came to appreciate that I could use my pain and suffering to make me a stronger and more determined individual. So what's coming up for me is like the how, like how, so you had these two choices. Um, was there something, you know, in, in previous life experiences that you think sort of, um, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but like conditioned you to sort of choose the path that you took or, you know, just unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I'm six foot eight. I have a brother who is six foot seven, who was a pitcher at Notre Dame. I have a brother that's six foot six, who played, uh, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA. My dad was six foot five. So if you sat behind our family in church, there wasn't a prayer chance you were going to see anything <laughs> growing up. But when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. The first one was pretty simple. I tore a cartilage. They took it out. The second one, they removed 25 pieces of my bone because scar tissue hadn't grown in between the bones where the cartilage had been removed. And the third one was actually kind of minor. It was just a bone spur that was, that was taken off. But after that second surgery, I was told, you're, you're not going to play basketball anymore and you may not walk normally again. So, you know, I was like 15 years old when this happened. And really the only success I'd had in life had been on the basketball court. So I kind of, at that point, vowed, it's like, no, 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 you can tell me I'm not going to play, but I'm not going to just take your word for it. I've got to go back. I, I've got to try to at least play again. And, and I did. I eventually got back on the basketball court. I eventually played, and I eventually got a scholarship to play Division I college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. So I've kind of come from that mindset that, you know, I'm one of those people that if you tell me I can't do it, I'm pretty much going to find a way to do it or go down trying. So <laughs> that kind of started it in high school. And then, you know, I mean, I, I was a police officer for a number of years. I, I remember our defensive tactics instructor telling us to bring a picture of the people we love to class. And we would practice defending our lives, basically, while looking at that, at that photograph. And his, his whole method of teaching was, you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So when my cancer kind of reared its head and I went through all this ugliness with the interferon, when I stopped interferon in 2017, the disease came back. And eventually my only treatment option was the amputation of most of my left foot, which occurred in January of 18. 2019, it came back again. I had two surgeries. And then earlier this year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle fractured my tibia. And that led literally in the middle of this pandemic to the amputation of my leg above the knee. And then further testing found that I have tumors in my lungs. And I've been on chemotherapy for the last several months. And my oncologist isn't very optimistic that I'm probably going to make it to the end of the year. But, you know, I didn't want to take chemotherapy. I was like, you know what? 
I'm done with this. It, this is my time. It's time for me to go. But we've always done this as a family. I mean, even our daughter was 15 when I was diagnosed and we promised her, we'll never lie to you. I mean, we'll, we'll okay. tell you the truth of what's going on. And, you know, if you got questions, just ask us. And so when I was proposed, was proposed that I try chemotherapy, we sat down as a family and I'm like, I don't want to do it. I, I just, I, this, it's my time. It's time to go. It's time for you people to get on with your lives. And they're like, nope, <laughs> you're doing chemotherapy. <laughs> so, so I started doing chemotherapy because I love them and, I, and I'll fight harder for them than I'll fight for myself. So that's kind of unpacking all that in, in a nutshell. I have goosebumps and tears and it's hard to make me speechless. I can probably talk, a, <laughs> you know, for days. Um, wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And oh, no problem. Um, I love that you, you said to your daughter, we won't lie to you. Um, I come from a family that doesn't talk about hard things. And one of the things that I'm trying to change in is how, how to change that for my daughters, right. To, to make sure that they are, um, aware and know that they can be curious and ask questions. And not that I wasn't told to be curious or ask questions. It was just sure. always behind closed doors. Um, exactly. Hard exactly. things. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, literally I have, I've gotten to the point where uh, between one of my chemotherapy treatments, I was feeling pretty good. And my wife and I went out to the cemetery, went to the mortuary. So all my funeral arrangements have been made. And, and people have said, you know, gee, that's kind of defeatist. That's, you know, that's being negative. Like, you know, you're going to, well, you know, I always tell them, well, we're all going to die. You know, it, it, you know not everybody's going to live, but everybody's going to die. And I, I thought, you know what? I don't want my family having to deal with, you know, watching me suffer and just waste away and eventually die and then have to go through, well, we've got to get a cemetery plot and we've got to go to the mortuary and we've got to get clothes and we've got to do all, all that's done. It's done. When I die, you make a phone call and it's taken care of. And, and I, I just wanted to do that more for my family. I mean, for me, I don't care. I mean, it's kind of like throwing an egg out. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be there. The shell of me is going to be there. But you know what? I'm moving on. I'm going to the next level. And I'm kind of excited about going to that next level. I believe in God. I, I you know, I, I, I believe that we all have a purpose. And I think I've lived my purpose. So let's, let's move on whatever, whatever the next phase is. So we'll see what happens. You have just this big, for, for people who, who won't see this, like you just have this big smile on your face. This, just like, um, and what you hit on though, I think is so important is that there's this intrinsic fear that I think most people have, like probably 90, I don't know, 97%, 98, 99% of the population, right? Like we fear death. And um, so what's coming up for me is like you, you've, you've reframed that it seems like for yourself. I have, I, I think people fear death because, because they don't live, you know, they, they don't, they don't find yes. their purpose, you know, and, and in all honesty, this has become a huge passion of mine, helping people find and live their purpose. I, I recall, uh, I, I loved English when I was in school. I, I wasn't good, very I was an average student, but I loved English and I loved to read and to write and stuff like that. And, and there's a, qu a quote from Mark Twain that I always remembered. It said that the two most important days of our lives are the day that we're born 
and the day that we figure out why. And when I speak to groups, I often ask people this question, do you know why you were put on this earth? And sometimes I'll take that a step further and say, do you know why you were put on this earth at this time? Why weren't you born 4,000 years ago or 25,000 years in the future? There's a reason that, that you were born, that we were born. And that reason involves finding and living your purpose. And, and I believe that we're all destined to live uncommon and extraordinary lives. And that has absolutely nothing to do with what kind of job we have, how much money we make, what kind of car we drive, where we live, anything like that. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. The problem is, is that most people live an unintentional life. And by living that casual life, their dreams, their goals, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. You know, during the eight plus years that I've been battling cancer, I've had plenty of time to think about my own death. And after I die, I can't imagine standing in the presence of our creator, whoever or whatever you believe that entity to be, and being unable to account for the gifts and the talents that I was born with and that I didn't use to make this world a better place. I, I, I mentioned before I was, I was a police officer and, and during my life I have unfortunately seen many people die. After I graduated from college, my, I had to move home and help my mom take care of my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer at the same time. Oh and it's been my experience that the people who die what probably you and I would call peaceful deaths, those are people who utilize their time on this earth to find and live that purpose. On the other hand, many of the people who I observe go kicking and screaming from this world, you know, I need another day or another month or another year. Those are people who never did anything with their lives. They never saw the urgency of living their uncommon and extraordinary purpose. Purpose. They never took a chance on their dreams. They never took the time to figure out who they, who they were, why they were here, and what they were supposed to do with their life. I remember I heard somebody say once that the wealthiest places on earth are our cemeteries because they're areas rich in businesses never started, books never written, relationships never pursued, and dreams never realized. There's a, a Native American Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I just love, and it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. And that's kind of where I am right now. You know, the only way you're going to find your purpose is to search it out, you know, to try things that make you uncomfortable, to fight against the status quo, to experience things that really scare you. Finding your why is important because it's the reason you were born. And the only way to discover that is to be open to it and search for it with your heart. Oh my gosh. There's just, there's so much I love in what you just said. Um, I think that what you're saying resonates with me for so long because in full transparency for like the first, I don't know, 34 years of my life, I was, you know, one foot in front of another living for like the quote unquote American dream. If you looked at, you know, me from the outside, you'd, you'd think that I quote unquote had it all and not to like brag. Mm -hmm. um, but I always say that I was a shell of myself, right? And it, it took sort of coming... Um, I'd lost who I was and okay. it took, um, you know, dealing with some things that had happened to me in life and sharing that and having conversations and 
people, you know, telling me me too, and not that they had like had the exact same experience as me, but, um, you know, they could relate. And I had that aha moment, right. Where, gosh, like we all have these moments of being alone and afraid. And so that was, that was my, you know, moment where I decided like, I'm going to figure out how to pivot and live my life more intentionally. Um, I'd always had that little voice inside of me that was like, this can't be it. Like there's gotta be more. Um, but I had ignored her for many, many years. So I'm curious, um, for you to unpack a little bit more, you said like most people don't live on an intentional lives, right? Like they just sort of, they don't find their purpose. Like, why do you think that is? And that's a loaded question. <laughs> Lay oh, it's on not. Me. It, it's, it, it, I'm just trying to figure out how I want to phrase this. There's an impediment to all of us finding and living our purpose. And, and that impediment or that obstacle is us. We all know this. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. To our minds, the status quo is comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. Things are good the way they are. Don't mess with this. But you're never going to grow that way. I mean, let's, let's take an example of, say, somebody who's looking for a new job. We all know people that are stuck in dead-end positions. These people should have been working somewhere else years ago, but for some reason they stay put. Why is that? I'd suggest it's because every time they decide to find a new employment, their brain kicks in and starts pointing out all the reasons that they should stay. You know, things like, hey, you're making good money, you're accustomed to the routines, the work here is easy. And you know what, you go somewhere else, you might not get along with your coworkers. Whatever the reason, to the brain, a new job presents all types of uncertainty and uncomfortableness. So if you're in a job that you can't stand and it would make sense for you to explore new opportunities, your brain's gonna fight you on making that change. And I think this is an important point, so I'm gonna say it twice. The problem with most people is they think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. So let me say that one more time. Uh, the problem with most people is they think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. We don't like to live in an uncomfortable state, but that's the only place where growth can occur. I, I coached girls high school basketball in, in Houston, um, for a number of years. And when I did that, I used to constantly remind my players that they needed to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And as such, I, I moved players in and out of drills that I, during practice at least, that, that I knew made them uneasy, that caused them anxiety. I wanted them to be uneasy, not because I was trying to get them to fail, but just the opposite, because I wanted them to realize they could succeed at something that made them apprehensive. The only way that we can grow, the only way that we can push past our comfort zones is to do what we find unpleasant and undesirable. And it's in those painful, difficult, and sometimes embarrassing moments that real growth can occur. And when improvement happens, that's when the common can become uncommon and the ordinary can become extraordinary. Now, now I'm, I'm really going to date myself here, so please be <laughs> kind to me here. So in 1976, the United States gold medal winning Olympic swimmer, Shirley Babishoff, had one of the greatest quotes that I'd ever heard. And this is what she said. She said, winners think about what they want to happen. Losers think about what they don't want to happen. Winners can override their brains and focus on the things that they want to occur. 
and losers focus on the negative aspects of competition and they're not able to see the positive qualities of pursuing a goal or a dream. Most people will never get to where they want to be because they won't stop whining and complaining about where they're at. If you want to lead an uncommon and extraordinary life, and I hope everybody does, the only way to make that happen is to embrace the uncomfortable and continue to do the things that you don't like and that you don't want to do. To become successful or to have a life of significance, your purpose has to be bigger than your pain. And I try to put this in a concept that's easy for people to understand. So if you were to go to a gym and pick up a 10 pound weight and do 10 arm curls, but you didn't find that movement difficult, then your muscle will never grow. However, if you go to that same gym, pick up that same 10 pound weight and you do arm curls until you exhaust that muscle and you can't do another repetition, then you're stressing that muscle. And as a result, it will grow and get stronger. That same tactic works with your mind. If you stress or push your mind by doing things that are uncomfortable, it will grow, it will develop, and you will become a stronger and more resolute individual. I love that. I am loving this conversation. This is, there's just so much, like there's so many good quotes. I'm going to like re-listen to this and then like type all them out and put them on my mirror. Um, this is great. Thank you. Sure. Um, so I'm curious, what's your purpose? I think I've had several purposes. I, I really felt that my, my purpose in life was to be in law enforcement. And, and that's not real popular right now, I know. Um, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, uh, my dad's uh, dad, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. Wow. So he was in the city when, you know, prohibition happened. He was in the city when, you know, the mob, the gangsters were shooting up the town and all that kind of stuff. He was actually shot in the line of duty um, with his own gun, taking a, a murder suspect back to the lock. He was shot in the foot or the ankle and survived and all that. But my dad remembered the stories that my grandmother told about you know the Chicago Police Department command staff coming and knocking on the door and said you know Mrs. Sucker please grab your son your husband's been shot you need to come with us and and he was diametrically opposed to me ever getting into law enforcement <laughs> and so you know I didn't want to go against my father I, I mean he was my hero I I, I loved him and I, I still love him even though he's been gone for almost thirty six years now um, but. That was what I wanted to do, but he didn't want me to do it. And, and I wish I would have been stronger earlier. Um, you know, he got sick shortly, as I mentioned, after I graduated from college, so I, I was home and I didn't want to, you know, say, hey dad, I know you don't want me to do this. I know you're dying of cancer, but I'm gonna do this anyway. So I, I did what every good son did. I waited till my dad died and then I pursued my dreams. <laughs> so um, that was my purpose. And it, it took me a long time to kind of get around to it. And once I did, I loved it and I was good at it. And I, you know, I was on the SWAT team and I was an undercover narcotics investigator. And I, wow. I, 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 I did a lot of things that I think helped my community. And that was my purpose then. And then I got sick. And, you know, I've been through what most people consider hell and back. And mm -hmm. I'm still here. 
and I know God's not done with me yet. I, 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 I plan my funeral, but in my head, I can't see myself in that casket yet, I, I, which tells me it's not time yet. And so I believe that my purpose now is to, to help people, as you, as you said, you know, this is my story. I'm, I'm going to tell you about my story, and maybe you can glean something from it. Maybe you can take something from it that'll make your life better. And, and that's really what I want to do right now. I want, to, I want to put as much good, as much hope, as much love back into the world right now as I can. Because certainly being a policeman, you see the, the ugliness, the, the the devastation that, you know, whether it's drugs or whether it's a, you know, tragic automobile accident, whatever, how those divide and, and cripple and, and hurt people. And that happens. And, and you know, you, I spent a few years in, in healthcare too, and you, you tend to say, geez, you know, everybody's sick. Everybody's not sick. Most people are healthy and going about their life and having a great time. Same way in law enforcement. You know, it's kind of like the 80-20 rule in business. You know, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customer. Same thing in law enforcement. You know, the, the 20% are doing most of the crimes. So, you know, you, you tend to think, gee, everybody's a criminal. Everybody's not. The vast majority of people are good, decent, honest, law-abiding, caring people. So, you know, you, you, you tend to kind of, if you're not careful, get on that rabbit hole that, you know, people are bad and you got to be careful and all that kind of stuff. So, my purpose now is to try to put as much good and love back into the world as, as I can. And when I'm done with that, then I guess I get called home and move on to the next phase of whatever life has for me. I think that's awesome because I, it, I do think the world could use more love and empathy and being able to view things from other people's perspectives. Absolutely. Um, even if you don't agree with it. And that to me, you know, like one of my big whys, my hopes for my kids is that they're able to have uncomfortable conversations in a productive way um, and be able to create authentic connections, which I believe leads to empathy. And I think part of that is, is, you know, we are, as you can tell, I like the talks, but <laughs> you know, Part of one of the things I did on the SWAT team is I was a hostage negotiator. And, and when we would do that, you know, we were a lot of times negotiating with somebody that was maybe blocks away, you know, and so I couldn't see you and, and look at you and try to determine what, you know, your, your body language was telling me and stuff like that. So we got good at understanding people based on what they were saying what they weren't saying and kind of how they were saying it. So for us, it was more listening to understand as opposed to listening to retort. You know, I heard what you said, but you know what, I gotta say this now. Well, you didn't hear what I said. You didn't, you didn't listen so that you could understand where I was coming from. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's taken me a long time to get to that point. You know, we, we like to think we're important. You know, most people are narcissistic. I always used to tell my daughter, you know, hey, you want to be a great conversationalist? Go to a party and just ask people about themselves. You know, just ask them and then shut up. Just, just be quiet and let them talk. And you will know, I, I mean, I do this all the time and it drives my wife nuts, you know, and, and she, I'm like, well, let me tell you about this person, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you about this person, blah, blah, blah. 
And she's like, and they don't know anything about you, do they? I'm like, well, they didn't ask me anything, so I didn't tell them anything. You know, so I mean, I, I like to do that at parties. I, I don't go to too many parties now with only one leg, but you know, it's it's just I people fascinate me. I love to know how did you get where you are? I mean, I used to I used to ask people when I was in the drug unit, and I mean, we would do search warrants, and I've worked with the DEA and the FBI, and we would do stuff, and I was like talking to the people we arrested. You know, it's like, what are your goals? What are your dreams? And, and when you look at some of these minority young men who, they have no goals, they have no dreams, they have no desires. They don't think they're gonna live to be 25 or 30 years old. Well, not, you know, if you're in the drug game, yeah, that's probably true. Somebody else is gonna shoot you and take over your corner or whatever, but it, it always made me sad. It's like, God, you've got no goals in life. You, you, you don't see yourself doing anything productive. So it's like, you know what, live big now, knowing that I'm going to die when I'm 25. And so I'm just going to have fun now and make all this money sound dope and go from there. So we don't listen to understand. And I think that's the problem now. You, you, you see all these riots and everything on the street. People are just screaming at each other. You, you, if I'm being screamed at, I can't listen to what you're saying. You're screaming at me. Let's talk. Let's talk. I love that i so i'm in sales and i like think that there is a such a deficit in terms of like we call it active listening right where you're right. you're listening to absorb and not react um right. and that is it's a skill i honestly truly believe it's a skill and you have to it learn it both professionally and personally um and i believe anyone can learn it um but it is you know, I think something that has made me really successful at my job. And one of the things I love about this podcast, right, is it's just like, unpack that for me. Tell me more. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it sounds like you're the same as me. You're fascinated with people. You know, tell exactly. me your story. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know we were talking a little bit and you, I believe, recently submitted a manuscript for your book. I, I did actually. I have um, October twentieth. Um, my book, Sustainable Excellence: Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life, is going to be released. Um, this is all so new to me. Um, just to kind of give you a little background, when I had my foot amputated, I, I would literally, you know, lay in bed at night and kind of be like, "All right, God, um, what's next?" What, what, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Uh, you know, and I was hoping, you know, like I'd get like, you know, a met, you know, you need to do this. And, you know, and, and I never got that. And, and, and there's an old joke by Lily Tomlin. And if, if I can remember it, it's, it's like when, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. Um, and so, you know, I, but I was looking for God to say something to me and God never did, but God put a bunch of people in my life who said, you should write a book. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. I don't, I, what are you talking? No, I'm not, I'm not right. And so eventually enough people sent it to me that I kind of figured that mm, maybe I had a look at doing that. So I literally for a year sat down and wrote my memoir on my cancer journey. And it ended up being 414 pages. It was like, wow. you know, it was huge. So I, I did the traditional publishing route and I contacted agents and I, you know, said, hey, this is my book. And, you know, would you pitch it to a publishing company? And I probably, I probably pitched 300 agents, which is ridiculous. That's way too many. But 
of the probably 100 that came back to me, every one of them said the same thing. And this is what they said. Publishing houses are not interested in a book about cancer unless you're famous or you have a large platform. And I thought, wait a minute. God, you told me to write this book. Why would I write the book unless I get it published? But then I started, you know, I started thinking, well, God never said I was going to, you're going to get published. He just said, write it. So I wrote the book and it helped me to be a better writer. And so this book actually came out of, sort of was born out of two different conversations. One, I had a former basketball player who moved from Georgia out here to Colorado and connected with me and, and we've had her and her, her boyfriend over for dinner pre-COVID and all that kind of stuff. And she's just a super person. And, and we were talking one day and, and we were talking about purpose. And, and she kind of looked at me. She's like, what, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is. So that's, that's for you to find out. And so we had this long discussion. And I, I remember I, I pulled the whole Colonel Sanders uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken situation up. I said, remember, Colonel Sanders didn't start Kentucky Fried Chicken until after he retired. So he was in his 60s when he started that. I said, so your purpose may not be right now. It may be, you know, 40 years from now, but you've got to search for it and you got to figure it out. Well, how will I know it's, you know, when it's my purpose? I said, you'll know, because I, I always believe that your purpose gave you peace. So if, if you know, if you want to get up in the morning and you're excited about it and you're, and, and it's peaceful, you're good. If you don't like going to work, if you're not happy, that's not your purpose. You're, you're not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, but that's not your purpose. Yeah. So there was that conversation. And then I had a young man, recent college graduate, who connected with me on LinkedIn. And he, he basically sent me a message and said, one of the five things that I need to understand to be successful in life and in business. And I thought, oh, that, that's really interesting. And, and I, you know, I thought about it for a while and I, I'm like, I didn't want to give them the, oh, you know, work hard, show up early, you know, listen to understand, et cetera. You know, I didn't want to give them the typical stuff. I wanted, I wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper. And, and one of the principles in the book is the, the thing that I shared with you earlier about, you know, people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I, I I, I think that's such a powerful thing because I did that. I did that a lot in my life before I figured it out. It's like, why? You're, 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 you're making a decision based on fear or based on your insecurities. You know, when I first started doing podcasts, I was like, oh my God, I'm scared to death. It's like, so what? You're, yeah, I'm scared. That doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you quit and you retreat and I don't do this. No, that means you move forward because I'll get better at this and I'll enjoy doing it. And now I do probably at least one of these every couple of weeks and people come to me now and like, Hey, you want to do a podcast and stuff. So, so the book was born out of those two conversations and me coming up with these 10 things. He said five, but I ended up coming up with 10 <laughs> and going back to him and saying, here's the things that I think. And then I took those and I'm like, well, I can, I got stories on this. You know, I mean, I got my stories and I've got other people's stories okay. and, and then it, it's not a long, it's 120 pages. It's not a long book. And I came up, uh, met a interesting story. And if you want me to be quiet, I will, but no, this, this is kind of an interesting story. So I, I, I met um, uh, an individual of, through a, a mutual friend who was a DEA agent, uh, drug enforcement administration agent, eventually went to running a county uh, drug task force and then became a police chief in Louisiana. 
And one of his friends asked him, hey, will you come out to California and do a presentation to a group of writers that want to understand you know, police tactics and how things work in law enforcement so they can incorporate those in their books and under, you know, make sure that they're credible and they're saying the right things. And he's like, ah, sure, no problem. And he, and he goes out there and long story short, he ends up meeting his wife. And she's, she's a writer who comes up and talks to him and, and they end up dating and, and getting married. And, and she's a best-selling author. She's got like 34 best-selling books, um, uh, fiction books. But, uh, and so they, they put together a small not-for-profit publishing company. And they, you know, I, I was talking to him about the book and he's like, I think this would be good for you and, and we'll, we'll work together. And it's just, it, you know, he read it and we're, it snowballed and we're, we're off and running. I mean, it's really kind of only been up on Amazon for pre-order uh, since last week. And it's, it'll be available October 20th. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it. So. That's really exciting. I love yeah. that. I absolutely love that. Um, well, Terry, this has been like, I'm so excited to go back and listen to this conversation. I think this is Thanks, one Jess. that I'll listen to a lot. Um, just so many of your stories and your, your quotes are, are very much resonated with me. So thank you for sharing. Oh, thanks for having me. I've really had a good time. How can people continue to follow you on your journey? Probably the, the easiest way is, is back in 2019, I started a, a motivational kind of blog website called Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com is, is probably the best way. Or you can send me an email uh, at motivationalcheck at AOL.com. But if you go to Motivational Check, all my social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Facebook, you can get to them through that. So it's probably just the, the easiest way to do that. Well, Terry, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this service to the city of Chicago as a Chicago resident. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, <laughs> and thank you for this conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. Hey, this is My Truth listeners. This is Dylan, and I spoke with Jesse in an upcoming episode, but I wanted to let you know about Live for Another. We are a community that tries to spread kindness in creative ways. Like uh, one thing we're working on is a food truck where we take a road trip in the food truck, go across the entire country, and feed a whole bunch of homeless people some really delicious meals. If that sounds rad, go ahead and check out our website, liveforanother.com.